Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. I love, I love that all of you are chatty and talking this morning. That's a great sign of a healthy family. All right? <laughs> all right, guys, like Mitchell said, I'm going to be preaching this morning. Uh, I'm Larry. By the way, if you don't know me, I'm the executive pastor here. And my journey onto this staff, uh, I guess, well, I've been on staff for about a year now. So I started in January of 2022. And so it's been almost a year of me being on a staff as the executive pastor. And that is a, a fancier title than I need. Basically, I just help get things done around the church um, and just take whatever Mitchell wants and make it happen. So that's, that's my job. I'm not an executive over Mitchell. Um, it's not what I do. But anyways, me and my family moved up here to Northwest Arkansas in 2019 in October, so just over three years ago, to help uh, start this church with the Welches, and we moved with uh, no plans of being on staff, no intentions, I guess, of being on staff. Um, We just came and moved to serve because we felt like God said to do it, and so we got invited by the Welches, and we came up here, and so like I said, it's been about three years, so I moved up here, got a job doing construction, and that was great with me, and we ended up getting invited into leading the discipleship school, me and my wife, and so we led it for the years of the 2021 school year and the 21-22 school year, and it was awesome, and now the Keiths lead it, and it's getting even better every year. Um, <coughs> so I got invited to be on staff, uh, and I guess, I guess about this time last year, a little bit earlier than this last year, and never had any intentions of being a pastor on a staff, but here we are just obeying the call of God, and, and this is where I find myself standing in front of you <laughs> this morning. So, <laughs> so here we go. So anyways, I moved up here with my wife, Madeline. If you were here last week, she uh, gave a message last week, but we moved up here with Truett, and he was 10 years old. I mean, 10 months old at the time, not 10 years old. He was 10 months old at the time, and our family has grown a little bit since then. We now have, so Truett's four years old now. We have Everly, which is our second. She, in August, turned two. And then we have a uh, little baby girl, Julia, who's back there in the back. And she is about to be five months old. She was born at the end of July. So we have a full family and a full life. And it's great. And it's always an adventure. You really never know what's going to go down in our house. Um, from sickness to a broken collarbone recently to I, I almost tried to lose my toe the other day. So it's, it's fun. Uh, family of five is really fun, and we're loving it and having a blast. Um, but if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we are going through a series, and it's called Mary, Did You Know? And this series has been uh, great so far. Uh, this is, I guess, installment number three of the series. And the first week, um, Jeremy BR uh, used to be on staff here. He shared about the humility of Jesus. Mary, did you know that Jesus would be such a humble person. And he shared about the humility of Jesus, looking back at Jesus' life. We see him even as a boy where he's spending time in the temple, honoring and connecting with the father, um, and his parents can't find him. And then they find him three days later, which is crazy. He's a young boy. They find him three days later, um, but he just submits to him how submissive he is to his earthly parents while being submissive to the Father at the same time. He, he did such a, uh, such a job of being humble um, and respecting and honoring his parents, even while having a higher authority even than his earthly parents, which is kind of a crazy phenomenon to think about. But then we even see um, the humility of him coming in the form of a baby. 
um, and the humility of him dying on the cross for our sake. Um, we, yeah, we see the humility of Jesus just like Ju- Jeremy shared. And then this past week, Madeline talked about Mary. Did you know that Jesus would be the hope, would be our hope, would be the hope of the world? And we looked at that, and she defined it in three different ways as Jesus being the way, Jesus being the word of God, and Jesus being our life, or Jesus being life. And we talked about how he's our hope, not just right now, today, but he's also our hope in the past, looking back for every single hard thing we've ever done. Jesus was there. He's our hope. He paid for it already um, through his life, and then also he's our hope looking forward into the future. And so those were the first two weeks, and this week uh, we're going to jump in and talk about um, Mary and Jesus, and we're going to look about, uh, before I guess tell you what the question is today that we're posing to Mary about what did she know about Jesus, we're going to actually look at what she actually knew um, And she might have known more than what I'll share, but I'll share what we see in the Bible from specifically from the angel Gabriel and what he says to her. Um, So and and we'll also actually look at Joseph as well while we're at it. See what um, what Joseph was told from the angel as well. But our hope through this series, it's not just to try to ask a good question to Mary. Like, honestly, I don't care that much about what Mary knew and didn't know, but it's so helpful for us. To look back, this is basically just teeing us up to look at the life of Jesus and marvel at him and be in awe of him. And so that's my hope this morning um, for you guys is that as we look at the life of Jesus, that we would be put in awe of him again. And obviously it's, it's crazy to think about Mary carrying Jesus as a baby in her womb. That is like insane. But I, it's more, it, this is, series is more of just let's be in awe of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. <clears throat> and so um, we're going to look at what Mary actually knew. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 briefly and then hop over to Matthew. But it'll also be on the screen if you don't want to flip around. That is great. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to start and read for a few verses here. And it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and was trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Pretty cool. She didn't need a sonogram to figure out the gender of her baby. And she didn't even have to think about the name. It was already given to her. Verse 32. He will be, you'll, if you tried to name a baby, you would understand. It's a pretty complicated process. It's easy for one person to name the baby. It's hard for two to name the baby. All right? Well, sometimes hard for one as well, but anyways, verse 32. It says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So I, I find that a little bit funny. So you're thinking, wow, Mary actually is getting a pretty good download of who Jesus will be. Um, he'll be the son of the most high. He will take over the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
there will be no end to his kingdom. And so she's hearing all these things from the angel, and then her question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? You know, it's like, did she actually comprehend and understand what in the world Gabriel was telling her in the moment? I don't think so. She's, and we wouldn't either. It's like, wait a second, uh, son of God, stuff, whatever, but what did, you said I'm going to have a kid? I'm a virgin. Like, how does that even work? You know, and so I, I think she might have been a little distracted. I don't know. That's just me inferring a little bit. Um, but it's just interesting. Her response is not like, what? His kingdom's never going to end? It's like, no, what? I'm going to have a baby? I can't have a baby. I'm a virgin. Um, so, she, so the angel answers to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then we can look at what Joseph heard uh, from the angel. This is a little bit shorter. It's in Matthew 1, 21. And the angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's all I guess Joseph maybe needed to confirm. Don't run away from Mary, even though she's pregnant and you didn't do it. All right, so hopefully that gives you a little bit insight into Mary and Joseph, what they knew um, as we move forward asking questions. Um, but all that we see that was communicated, I just shared with you, specifically from the angel. And Mary went and hung out with Elizabeth, um, who was pregnant with John at the time. And they talk and discuss, and Mary actually ends up singing a song about Jesus kind of prophetically before his birth. And so you would assume that she actually understood some of the things that uh, were being told to her uh, by the angel. But from what we actually see from the angel, that was it. And so if you, um, so just think about the life of Jesus right now. We know quite a bit about the life of Jesus because we have the Bible. But Mary didn't have that at the time when she's being told, told all of this. I mean, she had some in the Old Testament, but she didn't have the life of Jesus in Bible form for us. So in hindsight, do you think she actually had any clue about the life of Jesus and what it was actually going to look like? Like, I would assume maybe she could have guessed 5% of what his, how his life would actually pan out and what it would actually mean um, for her. I think it's crazy. Like, I, pro- I probably wouldn't know very much. Um, based on the details that she was given. I would probably be stuck on having a baby still and trying to figure out how that was going to compute. Um, but anyways, this morning we're going to look at, um, at one aspect of what I assume Mary had no idea about and what Jesus' life would look like. And so the question for today that I have for us is, Mary, did you know that Jesus was going to be the perfect sacrifice for us? And... Um, I know it's Christmas time, but I've been calling this, uh, joking with friends, uh, as I've talked about it, is this is my Christmas Easter message. So I hope you're ready for my Christmas Easter message this morning. But it just makes sense as we look at the birth and life of Jesus, um, or we look at the life of Jesus through the lens of his birth, that we get the full picture of the gospel and what he did, what his life actually meant and represented um, for us. And so I'm going to pray for us this morning Um, as we jump in. So why don't you pray with me? Jesus, I ask that you would open our eyes, you'd open our ears, open our hearts this morning to receive whatever you have for us. ask that you would speak clearly to us and that we would receive a more full picture of your love, of your mercy for us as we look at who you are and um, as we look at the measures that you took for us to know you. 
And I just say thank you, God, for all that you've done so that we could know you, that we could commune with you and have a relationship with you. So we look to you this morning, and I just ask that you would help us to stay attentive and focused uh, to whatever you want to share this morning and that we wouldn't miss a thing. Pray this in your name. Amen. So like I said, not super interested in, in Mary's perspective on if she knew that or not, but more of let's, let's be in awe of Jesus this morning um, as we look at his life. So as we dive into this, uh, we're going to jump into the Old Testament first, because when we talk about sacrifice, um, that's where it all started. That was, it, it kind of, we're, we're going to look at what created the need for Jesus to come in the first place. And obviously we know, yeah, it was the garden. Adam and Eve made a bad decision. They chose sin. And so now we need a savior. Um, but there was more steps than that along the way to lead to that. And so we're going to jump into the Old Testament briefly. And we're going to look at the law to help paint a clear picture for us of the importance of sacrifice. And ultimately how it was the design of God uh, that we would need a more perfect sacrifice um, found in Jesus. And so in Leviticus, probably don't hear many people preach from Leviticus very much, but we're going to jump into Leviticus really briefly. We see that the law was set forth by God through Moses. So Moses goes up on the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, and gets the law. God downloads the law to him. I don't know how that took place. I don't know how Moses remembered all of the law to rewrite it, but there was a lot of law given. I think it was like 800 and something different laws. Um, so we see that the law was given in Leviticus to Moses on Mount Sinai. And we see that there was sacrifice involved. And sacrifice was a way in the Old Testament law for them to atone for their sins. And what's really interesting about this is that it wasn't just sins that they intentionally committed, but it was literally any sin, even unintentional sin. And I didn't plan to have an example for this this morning, uh, but I was driving here this morning. And <laughs> I was I, Not of sacrifice, just of unintentional sin, all right? I didn't sacrifice anything this morning. Um, so I'm driving by Hellfellow Well Met, actually right before it coming off of the highway, and there's a stoplight there. But at the time I was coming through at 7-something, the sun was rising right behind the sunlight, I mean right behind the stoplight, and I could see hardly anything. And at the time that I s could see it where the sun wasn't completely behind it, the light was green, all right? And so I'm driving, <laughs> and I get underneath this light, and, and I can see it as the sun's moved out of the way because I'm getting a little bit closer. I see the light's red, and it's too late. I'm, like, already heading all the way through this light. And I don't know when it changed colors from green to red, but in the moment, I was like, wow. I'm, one, I'm glad there's no other cars coming through. Two, I'm glad there wasn't a cop there to see me. But three, I'm like, I'm preaching this morning, and I just ran a red light. <laughs> and, uh, and so immediately, I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to run that red light. And then it dawned on me, oh, my goodness. In the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice, and it literally says in the law, for unintentional and intentional sins. And there were different sacrifices that they gave, even for the unintentional sins that they ended up realizing. Because, you know, some you maybe you didn't, wouldn't ever realize, but I realized it. And so in that moment, I'm like, if I was under the old covenant and the law of Leviticus, I would have to go and sacrifice something because I sinned. And it, that is just a perfect example of how the law wasn't sufficient for us. And just, I was like, wow, okay, that's a good example for this morning, but that was not, that was interesting. Um, anyways, so just that's, and that's probably jumping ahead a little bit in the story, but we 
we, we see the law um, not being perfect for us and the need for Jesus. And so um, in the law, there was, uh, it was important. Sacrifices were very important to them because it was a way for them to atone, atone for their sins. And in Leviticus 5, 5 and 6, we see the law uh, set in a place where sacrifice has to be made for any compensation for sin. I just said that. Um, but for unintentional and intentional sins that were committed, you had to go to the priest and you had to bring them an offering based on whatever sin you committed. There were different types of sins with different types of sacrifices that were needed, whether it be a lamb or a goat or a bird, or if you couldn't afford that, even a grain offering, bringing them to the priest and they would make an atonement for your sins to cover over your sins. Um, and this was done over and over and over and over um, with intentional and unintentional sin committed, where you'd bring a spotless lamb or you would bring grain, um, whatever you could afford you and uh, based on the law, and you would give it to the priest and they would make a sacrifice to atone uh, for your sins. And a little bit later in Leviticus 17, uh, verse 11, we see a little more detail into the sacrificial offerings. And we see that the offerings were important because of the blood. And the blood of the flesh represented life to them. And so anyone... Uh, coming out of Israel, any of these Israelites that had just gotten out of, this is right after they got out of Egypt, um, where they get this law, they would have known that blood represented life for them. And even in Egypt, they used it and put blood over their doorposts, uh, representing life and covering over any death. And they would use the blood of these sacrifices um, to cleanse the altar, to cleanse the temple, to cleanse um, even the people. They would sprinkle it on people to cleanse them because it was a symbol of life covering over death. And it correlates uh, to Romans 6.23. Most of us know that verse, but it's uh, like the result or the wages of our sin is death. And so the blood was needed to cover over death. So really simply, blood is life and sin is death. So blood was used to cover over the sins of the people. And that's just helpful as we look forward to, uh, to the life of Jesus and his death. So um, we also see Leviticus 16. So just before that verse, um, we see that the Day of Atonement was established on Mount Sinai. And this is where the priests would make an atonement um, in the sanctuary, in the tent of meeting, the altar, the priests. They were all covered with blood uh, during the Day of Atonement and the people in the assembly. And it was done once a year to atone for sins. And so the Day of Atonement was like the biggest, uh, maybe one of the most important days for them for the Israelites because it was a day where they would literally get all their sins atoned for and it was a pretty uh, pretty crazy day because the priests even had to be pure before God even to walk into the tent of meeting and into the holy of holies because God can't stand where sin is like light and dark don't mix and they didn't mix and there's a story of where one of the priests goes in that isn't clean and literally falls over dead in the in the holy of holies and so we see the Day of Atonement, very important for them. And their life was, uh, like, it, they were very acquainted with the Day of Atonement because they needed it for their life. They needed to have union with God again. Um, and so just important to know as we look at the Old Testament. And all of the laws and the commandments that were given to Moses on Ma Mount Sinai, um, if you read any biblical literature, you'll find out that that was called the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant, which we know it as uh, more closely. But this covenant was actually a great thing for them, and it provided a governance for their life in the promised land. So this is right after they come out of captivity, and God is providing governance for their life 
Um, and we need it too. Like laws of the land are helpful. They actually bring life to us. If there were no speed limit signs, you probably wouldn't be too happy if your kids are playing in the front yard and somebody drives by at 150 miles an hour. Like they provide a, a healthy governance for life. And so they're actually a really good thing. And I think the Israelites probably really enjoyed it because they applied it to their life uh, to bring life to them and to help them. Uh, so anyways, that was, that's a little bit of the Old Testament law. Hopefully I didn't lose you in there. Um, but it's important to know as we move forward to understand the significance of the birth and life of Jesus. And without standing, understanding the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, we can't really understand a full picture of the gospel. And we can't understand really the need for Jesus to be born if we don't have a grasp on what the Old Testament was um, and, and what the Old Covenant looked like for them. And like I said, sacrifice was such a big deal for them. It was literally the main part of the Day of Atonement was sacrifices and the shedding of blood to cover of the sins. And, and it was so that they could have union with God. And they knew it meant forgiveness of sins um, on the Day of Atonement. And sadly, the Old Covenant wasn't sufficient, like I said. It wasn't sufficient because um, it's what they call a bilateral covenant. It was a covenant between God and man. It wasn't just on God's part. It was also on man's part. And as you know, we fall short of the glory of God as man. And so it wasn't sufficient because man fails. Like we fail and we fall short all the time. And so God knew that we needed a covenant that wasn't conditional on us and what we could earn or what we could do on our part. But we needed something that he could uphold himself. Um, without us being involved. Uh, so with this understanding of the Mosaic Covenant wouldn't be sufficient, um, we have a prophecy that we see in Jeremiah. There's actually several different prophecies in the Old Testament of uh, Jesus coming, of a new covenant coming, um, but one really clearly is in Jeremiah 31. So if you want to turn there with me, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. I'm going to read this for us. So verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that day, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Pretty crazy. I'll read it again. It says, and um, I'll read, start, uh, I'll go back to verse 34. It says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And that was not the case prior to the new covenant. In the old covenant, their sins we're still having to be atoned for year after year after year over and over again um, for all of their sin. They were having to get atonement for it by shedding blood 
And then you have this prophecy in Jeremiah, which is probably mind-boggling to a lot of them at the time. But it says, I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. And we know that the new covenant was put in place by Jesus being born, living a perfect life, dying a horrible death, and conquering sin and death through his resurrection. We know he came as a plan from God from the beginning um, to bring a new covenant, not confined or tied to man, but based solely on himself to reconcile us to him. So if we move into the New Testament, not just prophetically, uh, like we see in Jeremiah, but after we see the whole life of Jesus, uh, we get to Hebrews, and Hebrews lays it out really beautifully, a parallel between the New and the Old Covenant, and they do a much better job than I ever could of talking about it. And so we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to read kind of a parallel between the Old Covenant that we see and the New Covenant uh, that has come. And so we're going to jump into Hebrews 9, verse 11. And it says, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heifers sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God? Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed underneath the first covenant. And then we can jump down to verse 22. There's a really profound statement about the forgiveness of sins. And it says in verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And then we can keep moving along a little bit further down in Hebrews 10. I'm just going to keep reading. Hebrews 10, 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have not ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness for sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood and bull of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then we're going to jump down and keep going, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, verse 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sins. Like I said, that's a lot of Bible. So hopefully you tracked with me a little bit there uh, through those passages. And I skipped a little bit to uh, just to help out, keep it a little more fluid. Um, 
but we see such a rich parallel between Jesus and the old covenant and what he did um, that just comes alongside the old covenant and undoes it and with his own life. So I'd encourage you, read through all of chapter 9 and 10 if you get the chance in Hebrews um, because it paints such a, such a great picture of the life of Jesus um, and the need for it with the old covenant passing and the new covenant coming. So with all of that in mind, I want to wrap back around to the initial question there of Mary. Did you know that Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice? And not just Mary, but for us, do we understand uh, and do we really believe that Jesus is our perfect sacrifice? Like, do you believe that he is your perfect sacrifice this morning? Do you really believe that he actually paid price for you, for every single one of your sins, even the unintentional ones when you run a stoplight because the sun is in the way and you can't see it? Like, he paid for it. Do you realize that the significance of him, uh, do you realize the significance of him coming? Do you realize the significance of his birth? Do you realize that he fulfilled every single prophecy from the prophets for our good? He did it for our good. Do you realize that God sent a part of himself to the earth to be confined to time and space for us? Like the infinite, omnipresent God confined part of himself for our sake so that we could know him. That is crazy. Like God put himself in human form confined to human form and not just human form but a baby he put himself inside of a baby who was very confined to time and space like he only went where his mom took him you know he was very very confined um for us for our sake so that we could know him um he's the jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of god we see that in hebrews as well He's the exact imprint of the nature of God, um, and so he's the perfect display of the character of God and of the life of, uh, of God, the character of God, who he is. Jesus displayed that perfectly on the earth, and he did it for us. Just like Madeline said last week, Jesus coming revealed to us who God is and what he's like. It wasn't for him to know what it was like to be in a human body. It was for us to be able to see and connect and be reconciled to him. Um, Jesus coming as a child made a way. Jesus coming as our perfect sacrifice made a way for us. Do we understand the redemptive plan of God for us? How it was laid out from the beginning. And think about this. Mary. You have Mary very acquainted with the Day of Atonement. She knew all about it. First century Jews knew about the Day of Atonement because they were doing it. Every single year Mary would like take part in this Day of Atonement where the priests would sacrifice for her sins. And do you think she had any clue that Jesus was going to take the place of that sacrifice for her and undo the Day of Atonement for her sake? Crazy. It really is so crazy. And even after Jesus' death, the Day of Atonement still continued for a little while until the Roman Empire destroyed the temple, and then the Day of Atonement became a day of just remembrance of forgiveness of sins and of the mercy of God. Um, but even before it became just remembrance, do you think Mary had any clue that Jesus was going to take the place of that and his blood was going to be shed so that she could have union with God and relationship with God? Do you think she knew that, it would, that his blood would bring life? And not just to her, 
but to the whole world, to all of mankind. Do we realize that it's by his blood that we have life? Realize that it's the plan of God for Jesus to be sacrificed so that we could know him and we could have life. And we could have access to the fullness of life in him. And this really means everything for us. Like his birth, his death, his resurrection, his life means everything for us. It means that we're forgiven. Like we're, for, we're fully forgiven because we're not underneath the old covenant. We don't have a, uh, a year of forgiveness taken care of and then we live another year wondering about our connection with God and then the Day of Atonement comes and we're connected with God again and then we leave that meeting and then we send some more and we're separated from God again and we wait until the next year and we have another Day of Atonement and we get our sins forgiven for again and then we go through the whole cycle again and again. This means we're forgiven completely, fully forgiven. Every one of our sins, past, present, and future sins are already forgiven. When I ran the red light this morning unintentionally, I didn't lose relationship with Jesus. It didn't separate me from him. He's already covered my sin for the future, for the present, and in the past. It means that there's no condemnation for us in him. It means that we can live a life full of hope. It means that we are completely free in him. It means that we don't have to do anything to earn anything. The new covenant is not conditional on us. Praise God. Are any of you grateful that we don't have a covenant with God that we have to uphold our end so that he will uphold his? That is really good news for us. And it requires nothing from us, but simply that we would believe him and that we would receive his life. But at the same time that it requires nothing, it kind of beckons everything from us as mankind. Requires nothing, but it beckons everything. Because what do we have that, that we want to hold on to that he's not worthy of taking? You know, like what, what part of your life do you not want to give over to him? Isn't he worthy of it? Um, he's worthy of us submitting and giving him everything. He's proven his worth to us. He has shown his desire for a relationship with us, right? He sent Jesus for our sake. He came so that we could know him and that we could have a relationship with him. He is worthy. He's worthy of our whole lives. He's worthy of all of our thought life, all of our time, all of our attentions, all of our affections, all of our desires. He is worthy. And so as we close this morning, we're going to look to him because I think it's right that we do as we think about him as our sacrifice. Um, so as we close in talking about the new covenant and remembering what God did for us by sending Jesus to take on flesh and to conquer death for us, um, we're going to look at him and we're going to worship him this morning. And the way that we're going to do this is actually by taking communion. So you probably noticed uh, communion cups underneath your chair. Um, and band, you guys can go ahead and come up. Um, but something pretty amazing about communion is, so we look at the Day of Atonement and the Israelites, and they were very aware uh, that it took blood uh, and sacrifice for their sins, like I've mentioned uh, multiple times this morning. Um, but once, once the Roman Empire destroyed the temple, the Day of Atonement, uh, they don't sacrifice animals any longer. It's a day of remembrance for them. It's a day of remembrance that Jesus has, or that God has forgiven their sins, and that he is merciful towards them. And so blood 
repre- is a representation or a remembrance to them of what God did for them by forgiving their sins and showing them mercy. And same with communion for us. So you fast forward, you see Jesus um, right before he goes to the cross and he's sitting down with his disciples and he says, do this in remembrance of me and sets his, the cup of wine on the table. Rep- he said, this represents my blood. Do it in remembrance of me. It's literally looking back at the day of atonement and what they were all very, very acquainted with. They knew. They knew all about the day of atonement, every single one of them, because they were partaking in it because they didn't have a savior or they didn't realize what he w- had done just yet. Um, so it, I just think it's a really cool communion. It's just interesting that that Jesus also very acquainted with the Day of Atonement and talks to them and says, hey, here is my blood. Let it be in remembrance of me. Here's my body. Let it be in remembrance of me. And so I'm going to read for us out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. As we close here, and it says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was portrayed, betrayed, sorry, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's go ahead, grab the communion cups that are underneath your seat, and why don't you go ahead and stand up with me. And the band's going to play for a little bit, uh, just some background music for us, while we take a chance to reflect on what Jesus has done for us through his perfect sacrifice to bring us a relationship with with God. And take this time as well, if there's anything that you need to confess to him and get into the light um, with him, or you can even grab a person next to you if you want to share it with them as well. Uh, just confess any sin that you have um, to be pure before him as we take communion. And I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have a little bit of chance to respond uh, as we go back into worship. Jesus, thank you. God, thank you for your plan of redemption. Thank you for redeeming us from the curse of the law. Thank you for becoming sin on our behalf and dying and conquering it so that we don't have to live questioning, are we separated from you or are we not? Thank you that you've already paid the ultimate price, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So I just ask, as we reflect and remember you, that we would be put in all of you again this morning for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, that you covered over our sins where we couldn't uphold our end of the deal. You scrapped the deal and made a new one for us. Thank you for the new covenant, Jesus. We honor you, we worship you for who you are. Amen. So as you're ready over the next minute or so, you can go ahead and take communion. And then we're going to go into worship in about two minutes.